This is KOOP HD1 HD3 Hornsby. Welcome to the Austin Chronicle Show. My name is Kim Jones, and I am the editor of the Austin Chronicle, Austin's independent source of news and culture reporting since 1981. If you passed by an Austin Chronicle newsstand today, you may have noticed that the paper is extra hefty this week, and that is on account of the Best of Austin Awards. It's a big anniversary for us. This year, we mark 30 years of Austin Chronicle Best of Austin Awards, uh, which honor the people, places, and businesses that make Austin so singular. This year, between our readers' poll and our critics' picks, we handed out a total of 283 awards. There's a lot of good stuff in there. Our readers' poll recognizes everything from best burger to best plumber to best doggy daycare, while our critics' picks trend a little more offbeat, with awards for a haberdashery, a vampire parlor, a pro wrestler, and a lot more. We also have a handful of awards dedicated to excellence in media, and that is going to be our topic for today. I am super excited about the people joining me today for our show, and honestly, very honored to be in this company of Best of Austin 2019 winners. First, a familiar voice to regular listeners is Sarah Marloff, who is the Chronicle's associate news editor and the editor of Community, the Chronicle's dedicated queer section, and as of today, the newly minted winner of the Reader's Poll Award for Best Journalist in Austin. Thanks for joining us, Sarah. Thanks for having me. And our other two guests are actually joint winners of a Critics Pick Award for Best Media Power Moves. They both already have boasted distinguished careers in journalism that were made even more so when they moved into new positions this year at local media institutions. First up, we have Debbie Hyatt, who after a long career in print media at the Austin American Statesman, has since moved into radio, radio in early 2019 when she was named KUT and KUTX General Manager. Hello, Debbie. Hi. Thanks for having me. And Andrea Valdez, previously an editor of Wired.com and TexasMonthly.com, this year became the editor of the Texas Observer. Andrea, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, well, we're just going to launch into this. We thought it would be good to just have a general state of the media conversation. But before we get into that, uh, I want to hear everybody's origin stories, how they fell into journalism and really sort of what the what your passionate beats are. Andrea, let's start with you. Uh, yeah, so I actually moved to Austin in 2001 to uh, attend UT. I was an English major, and in those things, you are either a teacher, a lawyer, or a journalist, and so here we are. <laughs> um, so I ended up going to Northwestern, uh, got my uh, graduate degree from Northwestern, and met Evan Smith there, who was at, t at the time the editor-in-chief of Texas Monthly. He hired me on to be a fact-checker there, and so I started at Texas Monthly as a fact-checker and moved my way up to become the editor of the website, um, stayed there for 10 years, and then got a job offer to go move to San Francisco and take over Wired's website. I was there for a couple of years, and now I'm here at the Observer and the editor there. So, And any any particular beats that, that were your, your specialty? I guess Texas is kind of my specialty <laughs> as a beat. Um, I wrote a book called How to Be a Texan, so if I don't know how to do it by now, I'm really doing it wrong. <laughs> All right, Sarah, how about you? How'd you get here? Oh, um, I think like from my earliest memory, or at least like as a middle schooler, um, I wanted to be a writer, but I thought I'd be like a novelist because they make even less money than journalists. <laughs> um, and so I too became an English major. Um, and then I kind of fell into news writing or reporting as a way to try to fund the creative writing. And eventually the creative writing 
fizzled out into this being my passion. Um, I have worked for a lot of like smaller papers across the country in San Francisco and DC. And then when I moved here, I begged the former gay place editor to let me be her intern and I never left the Chronicle after that. Um, so I too called my way up from intern to, I guess, editor. So I, I think that's probably going to be a through line. I know I started as a proofreader when I started out. So Debbie, how about you? Well, that's that's the theme. Um, so I was a student at Southwest Texas State University, now Texas State in San Marcos. And um, I had wanted to, I thought I was going into education, started at the student newspaper there, shout out for the University Star. Uh, it was just so much fun that I, I couldn't stop. Um, I ended up getting an internship at the Statesman. It was one of these weird deals where they told me originally they didn't have internships. And then they said, you can come in for a week and if, if everything goes okay, you can come back next week and then maybe the week after. And 28 years later, I finally left. Um, but I, you know, I did a number of jobs there. I reported, uh, did the Mayhem Beat, um, covered Hayes County, which was a really great place to cover, covered City Hall, um, transportation, Travis County. Transportation was probably my favorite beat because there was so much going on in the 90s. And then uh, someone twisted my arm into editing, and I liked it, and um, ultimately spent the last seven years there as executive editor. And then last year, um, in the summer of 2018, decided it was really a time to do something new. And so I left the, uh, the Statesman and had known about the KUT and KUTX general manager job and um, put my hat in the ring, and I'm thrilled to, to have received it. I mean, that's a pretty big transition from from print media to radio. And it's actually one of the things I wanted to talk to all of you about is sort of what the Internet has done to the business and how we all come from, you know, uh, we're an alternative weekly we come out once a week. And you, uh, Andrea, you have a you have a magazine that you run and Debbie, you work in radio, but we're all producing content online all the time. Like those it seems like the, the ecosystem has sort of collapsed a little bit and we're all dailies in a sense. So who, who wants to take a grab at this one? You know, I, I think it means um, it has meant that there's a lot of great opportunity, frankly, to do things that um, people aren't put in one box anymore. Um, journalism is journalism. And just having a different form of telling the story, I think, is exciting to most journalists. And so I think for print journalists being able to dabble with um, with radio or with video, with audio or video has, has been great and vice versa. I mean, I think that the uh, the radio folks have really taken to the fact that they can do some uh, long form writing as well, and and so it's it's been exciting, I think, for the journalists. Mm -hmm. Andrea, what's been your experience with? I mean, you guys are a magazine, but you're posting online. You have a Twitter presence. You have, you know, I, I know you've written letters to your readership before. Yeah, so you know, I think the internet has been really democratizing, and so as People who are marginalized communities may not have been previously heard from before. Now they have an outlet for that. So that's kind of the blessing of the Internet. Um, you know, there are lots of downsides to the Internet, um, <laughs> one of which being that it accelerates the news cycle um, and there is a pressure to, to be constantly on. Um, so for me, we're a small place. You know, we have five staff writers, six staff writers, and really it's a matter of picking our spots. And isn't that every editor's kind of 
job at the end of the day is figuring out if you can't cover it all, what are you going to cover really well? Yeah. And so that's the way that we think of our internet presence is we have people who are on beats, our writers are on beats, they are really well versed in those beats. And so we just deploy them to continue to cover and really dive deep into the things that they know about criminal justice, public health, you know, role reporting. Um, and then as for the magazine, I mean, we really think of it as a showpiece, right? So if it only comes out every other month, and you only have so much space, then really you should think about very critically, what are you going to include in there? So, you know, for instance, in this upcoming or this issue that just came out, um, I really thought it was important for us to talk about gun control in Texas. And so we dedicated more words to that than we might have before, because it's an important issue in Texas, specifically at this moment. So thinking through what are the things that we're trying to say, um, we dedicated 18 pages in the newest issue to rural health care because it's in crisis. And so it was important for us to dedicate that much space to it. So that's the way I think about it is it's a matter of choosing your spots and the medium you are defined by some of its characteristics. So there's opportunities and challenges, but you just navigate within them. That that was a great piece, by the way. It was oh, a great Rural health care. Yeah, I Fantastic. was going to say that exact same thing. <laughs> yeah, Chris Collins, Sophie Novak, yeah. shout out. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sarah, I think, and y'all correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Sarah is the only of us who is like a regular reporter still. Is that is that accurate? Yes. Yeah. Uh, you're also an oh. editor, but yeah. you are constantly uh writing about criminal justice, sexual assault victims, queer rights, and you also have a pretty robust uh, social media presence. You want to talk a little bit about that? You're also responsible for filing stories uh, all of the time, basically, and you know, processing stuff at 10 o'clock at night to get it up online. I mean, it's a lot to juggle, and I'm just curious, how's that working out for you, says I'm, her boss. <laughs> I'm tired. Um, I think that's I think everyone else summed it up about like what's so great about the internet and having all of that there. Um, I do think that it puts you in a like 24 hour go. Yeah. Like there are time, I have a hard time turning off. Um, and I think that I actually do a better job of it than some people do. Like I know some people are on Twitter 24 seven and I try not to be. Um, but it's, you know, it's hard to jump back and forth. I think from being like an editor and trying to figure out like, you know, as an editor of like the queer section of like what needs, what are the voices that need to be covered in here? Like what are, what can we do well um, since we only have so many of us? And then also jumping in as a reporter role and saying this is what I'm taking on. And then also making sure the news section works out the same way. Um, and I think I think about it all in the term of what I hope I bring to the news section at least is trying to make sure that it is staying up to date with the internet speed and like when we get stories in, learning to get them up faster and not just waiting for them to come out in the print issue. Um, so I think it's just a lot of work. It's a lot of hats to juggle. Um, and it's fun. Like on the good days, it's really, really fun. Like yeah. I don't mind juggling that. I like being on social media. I like that presence. I like building my own brand and I like building the brand of the place that I'm working for. So. Personally, one of the things I've found with sort of the accelerated rate of everything, you know, you said it's fun, question mark, is that <laughs> is that we don't have as much time to celebrate the big wins, you yeah. know, because it's always it's always moving on to the next thing there. You know, we're just not taking the time. Um, I'm curious, have any of you established any like hard and fast rules about, OK, the phone gets turned off at this point or are you always available? Uh 
I have not established those rules, but I'll say that in my current job, because I'm not in the newsroom, um, I mean, we have newsroom editors, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't get all of that, those calls and that craziness at all times. I, w- I will say that I, I still get sucked in, and I have that urge to to call someone in the newsroom and say, are we looking at this? Are we looking at that? But I, I try to resist it because we have great people handling those things that I should not be bothering all the time. <laughs> What about you, Andrea? Uh, yeah, delegation is is key, yes. and it's hard to do. Uh, no, I don't really probably have as good of boundaries as I should, <laughs> um, and I'm sure that's self a self-inflicted wound. Um, I have found that I think I look at Twitter more now than I did even when I worked at Wired, which is a tech magazine. Um, yeah. I don't know why. It's just, it's really calling me all the time. Texas um, Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's an interesting place right now. Um, and, and yeah, I, I would say that uh, I sometimes I don't have boundaries, and that's my own decision and my own choice, and that's for me to work out. But I really do encourage the writers and reporters and, and editors to have their own boundaries. Um, and kind of to the point you were, you were making earlier, Sarah, um, I also encourage them to make sure that they're checking in with themselves and checking yeah. in with me about how they are feeling. Um, you know, we're really big on if you've worked a weekend or if you were reporting something that was particularly hard on you and hard to witness, making sure that they're taking comp days and that they're taking time for themselves. You know, I think a lot about because reporters are looking at some of the hardest things very closely and intimately, making sure that they take care of themselves is a conversation that newsrooms I am happy are finally having. Yeah. And I I think the, you know, it's incumbent upon the leadership of the newsrooms to, to think about the things that we do well and focus there and not feel that urgency to chase everything because um, that is a grind. It's a grind on people. And frankly, I don't think it serves our audience as well as we sometimes get in the trap of thinking it does. Absolutely. Because we're not taking the time to, to go deep or, or do the thoughtful mm-hmm. piece. Well, I think, I think that's a really interesting point of sort of wondering, like, you know, I wonder this all the time, like, is this a chronicle story? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm curious, uh, I'd like us to get into that a little bit of, of sort of how we define our different personalities of our of our news organizations, really. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break for some station announcements. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Austin Chronicle Show. We're in the studios of Co-op Community Radio, 91.7 FM in Austin, and live streaming through koop.org. I'm your host, Kim Jones, editor of the Austin Chronicle. We've got a great roundtable discussion going about the state of media, and I want to reintroduce my guests real quick before we launch back into it. And I should also point out they are all honorees in this year's Austin Chronicle Best of Austin Awards, which is on stands now. Uh, Andrea Valdez, editor of the Texas Observer. You want to say hey again? Hello. (laughs) Uh, Debbie Hyatt, general manager of KUT and KUTX. Hi. And Sarah Marloff, associate news and community editor at the Austin Chronicle. Hey. So I want to jump back uh, really where we left off, which was talking about sort of what is a story that is right for our individual organizations. So, uh, Andrea, let's start with you. What kind of story do you think is a Texas Observer story? Um, our bread and butter really is investigative stories. It's something that we do really well. Um, so I'd say that things that are heavily reported, that we're looking at data, that we're going out and telling deeply human stories that are backed up by um, intensely researched uh, information. Knocked it out there. Yeah. <laughs> I've thought about this you a know, little bit. You know what you're doing. Uh, Debbie, what, what, how about KUT? 
you know, I think a hallmark of uh, what we do, and it's it is you know common to public radio, is the storytelling, um, the storytelling about the community. But one of the things we are working on is, can we do more accountability, deeper investigative work as well? Um, the series that Nadia Hamdan did earlier this year on um, sexual assaults in Travis County was, you know, an example of that. Um, it, the other thing that we feel like we we want to focus on is explaining, explaining Austin and explaining what's going on um, to the community in a way that's really accessible. Yeah. Sarah, what about you? Um, I'm only going to talk about the news section and the queer section of the Chronicle, but I think that the queer section tries to be a space that doesn't just cover the like crappy news because it's Texas and like <laughs> queers in Texas are always targeted. Um, so it's a place that like celebrates. It celebrates upcoming events. It celebrates people doing cool things, and it gives them a platform to be like, "Hey, I'm in the paper," and I think that's pretty great. Um, and in the news section. Uh, it's a little less celebratory, <laughs> um, but I think it's a cross between trying to be like the city paper to some extent. Like these are the things that are happening at City Hall that are happening to our residents who live here and being able to tell like the very personalized stories that like Austinites feel, whether it's covering homelessness or covering land use. Um, and sometimes it's like the boring stuff. That's also really important. Um, and then I think you get our features, which are really in-depth investigative pieces that dig into sexual assault or homelessness or any of the stuff that you might see a short story on that we get to really take back and dig into. And I think that's where like our reporters really shine is being able to turn out really short pieces and then turn out really long pieces. I want to jump back to something we were talking about earlier. Andrea, you made this point about um, really all of our organizations are covering some pretty intense stuff and it can have a real toll on reporters and the editors. And what are you guys doing, um, especially um, those of you in management, what are you doing to sort of take care of your people, basically, and sort of talk about how you think that has changed. And I think, Debbie, this is something that certainly, uh, you know, you were at the Statesman almost 30 years. You've seen a lot of the the ways that the, the industry has changed. Uh, and yeah, there there was I mean, there was a time when I was a young reporter at the Statesman where if you went and saw something really horrific and came back to the office, if you mentioned that um, there was sort of a macho kind of shrug it off um you know, approach. And I think that over time, um, the good news is that, you know, most newsrooms have learned that um, the best way of doing the journalism we do is to be more human. Um, yeah. And that also goes to how we treat our staff inside the newsroom and making sure that they're, you know, they're taken care of in those kinds of situations. Um, a lot more listening than there was early on in my career. Um, a lot more, you know, uh, assistance with, I mean, w when I was at the Statesman and Cox Media Group owned it, they were very good about providing, you know, employee assistance um, with big coverage, things like that. Mm -hmm. Andrea, what about you? Yeah, like I said, I, I make sure to check in with my staff, you know, when I know that they've been reporting on something that you know, could be affecting. Uh, and I make sure to try to give them comp days if, you know, it seems like it would help them recoup a little bit. Um, you know, the other thing is that I think people 
oftentimes in management say, you know, my door is always open, <laughs> which can feel just kind of like boilerplate management stuff. Um, I am lucky to be part of a small crew of people. And so I do have standing meetings with all of my writers once a week. That way I know what they're working on. I can talk with them. I get to know them. You know, I understand their challenges and, you know, it, I think gives me a much better connection to them. Um, I also managed a group, uh, when I was at Wired of 30 people, which is much bigger and it's hard to have one-on-ones with 30 people once a week, your entire week would be meetings. Um, which I'm sure everybody loves when that happens, but, um, (laughs) but, you know, I did make sure to have standing meetings with all of my editors as a conduit to the writers. And I did try to check in with my writers pretty frequently, um, to me, that was really important because then people really do believe you when you say that your door is always open because you've established rapport with them and you've established an open line of communication. And so they come and they take you up on it. And usually people don't abuse it. Usually. <laughs> Sarah, you cover a lot of tough beats. And also you live in the world today, which is not a right. super unstressful place. Uh, how do you how do you manage the stress? Um, I work out a lot. <laughs> um, and I have a dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I talk about stuff, and I'm really lucky to the news editor is uh, my Clark Madison is very supportive. And if I tell him that I am overwhelmed, he gets it. And I just feel like I have the support to like say that. Um, and I try to carry that with me to like my writers too. Of like some of them are covering less heavy stuff, but trying to just be their cheerleader instead of just being their like editor who's like well this sentence sucked like also being like you did really great work and you're doing really great work and so that's Mm -hmm. how I try to pass it around (laughs) you know I I I wasn't sure if I wanted to bring this up but I will point out the obvious which is that we are all women and I'm curious if you guys have anything you want to say about sort of I don't know if it's been ever uh, if it's presented challenges to you in this industry um, and if you have had mentors throughout Debbie's giving me a look right now like I can talk to you about challenges I got a book in there somewhere (laughs) why don't we start with you oh I I will say that in my newsroom I always felt supported Um, even at times when you know some of the people above me were were a bit old fashioned. I think they were supportive in the in the ways that they could be. Um, you know, I think that uh, I you know I was fortunate that I did have some people who who really looked out for my career, and I don't know and and they were men who looked out for my career and helped me navigate a lot of that. And I don't know if I would have been able to rise up through the newsroom if it had not been for those people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the corporate world was much more difficult, I think, to manage at times, being a woman. As the higher I got at the Statesman, the more I dealt with folks in Atlanta, um, the corporate piece of it. Mm-hmm. Um, How many different owners did you experience? Well, Cox owned the Statesman for, for almost the entire time okay. I was there, and then Gatehouse for the last... Uh, you know, four or five months. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was a definitely a different feel working with, you know, my newsroom management at different times who at at the very least had a respect for the work that was being done and um, the corporate side of it. Yeah. Where that didn't matter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Andrea, what about you? 
Yeah, I've also been lucky in lots of ways um, that I've had major support from everyone that I've worked with. Uh, all the editors-in-chief that I've worked for have been men, and they've all been nothing but supportive of my my career and pulled me along and pulled me into rooms and into meetings where they knew that maybe I wouldn't be necessarily an active voice, but I'd be at least a participant and I would see how things work. And so I'm always grateful for that. Um, and what I feel now is it's incumbent on me to turn around and, and give, you know, stewardship and mentorship to younger journalists, you know, across, you know, men, women, you know, mm-hmm. but but I really do feel a special affinity for bringing young women up and putting them in, you know, positions of mid-management, right? And and bringing them into conversations and forwarding them emails and telling them about my challenges and being pretty transparent about those things. Um, I wish someone had done that to me. Talk to me about pay. I, you know, have been pretty transparent yeah. about pay with some people. I mean, not everybody, not all the time, but mm-hmm. you know, when I know someone's negotiating something and they seem at a loss. Um, and then, you know, I will say that I've had people tell me that I'm the only person of color or woman of color that they've had edit them, mm-hmm. um, which is something that I suppose part of me thinks that's great. I'm glad that I get to do that for you. But it's always kind of a sad uh, admission, I think, too, that um, there are so few women of color uh, in editing positions at magazines and, and in the industry at large. Um, I think there's a lot of really wonderful um, Hispanic journalists in broadcast, actually. I, I go to NAHJ and, you know, just that community is so robust and I love seeing it. And I, you know, hope that that can begin to kind of trickle out to print media, which I think is a little slow to catch up, honestly. Yeah. Sarah? (laughs) Um, I've had both. I've had some, I wouldn't be here without having a lot of mentors and a lot of like cheerleaders. Um, The person who I took over community from like cheerleaded me and helped me like really grow my voice in like queer news coverage, um, and I am forever grateful, um, and fought for me. Um, and I've had, you know, the other sides, I've been told, like, if you can't handle that uncomfortable meeting with a creepy guy, then, like, someone else can do your job. And, like, both sides happen. Um, and I think that being told that only makes me want to fight harder um, and climb further. Um, and I think that it's definitely caused me to also pull up other voices and I'll mentor pretty much anybody but if I have a baby gay or baby queer in my office who wants mentorship like I am there because I same I think same thing we need more queer voices in newsrooms and not just covering queer beats because we see things differently and that take is also very important so absolutely and Debbie um, I heard that you have started a mentorship program at KUT. Yeah, the um, there was something that the newsroom editors pulled uh, together, and we work um, we work with somebody who has been working with public radio newsrooms across the country on that, um, and that was something that was really important to me at the Statesman was that we had a lot of formalized development programs that helped people, you know, make those advancements. Um, the the women of color that I worked with at the Statesman when we were reporters together, they rose up with me into senior leadership roles because Cox was good about, you know, providing those kinds of opportunities. Um, and so that's one of the things we really need to look at at KUT is what kind of development are we doing and how, how can we do more of it, much better uh, job of it. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I think we're about out of time, but I just want to say how much I appreciate you all coming on and how much I respect the work that you all do. And thank you for, for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. And a quick note of housekeeping before we call it a day. The Chronicle wants your feedback. If you pick up this week's issue, you will find a reader survey where you can tell us how you feel about what we're doing, what you'd like to see more of, what you'd like to see less of, just a general thumbs up, thumbs down. Uh, So you can find that in this week's issue. And I also want to say thanks one more time to our guests, uh, Debbie Hyatt, Sarah Marloff, and Andrea Valdez. And thanks also go to our engineer, Evan Hearn, and to Kevin Curtin and Jonas Wilson for writing our theme music. Thanks. We'll see you next week.